This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you, as always, by our sponsor, MapsOfMastery.com. Welcome back, younglings, oldlings, and everyone in between to the Order 66 podcast. This is 101010, October 10th, 2010, and this is episode number 110, we'll call it, just to keep on the tens. Not really. It's episode number 118. I'm GM Dave, <laughs> and uh, that intro uh, was a one-time only intro. It was... Uh, yeah. You know, I went to Rush last episode, so I uh, figured they start every concert with Spirit of Radio, so uh, I figured I'd start a podcast with Spirit of Radio. Uh, you punk. And the one thing I asked and begged of you, you did not deliver. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't even, uh, I, I could not po- pony up $40 for my own shirt. Ooh, wow. And, uh, okay. yeah, 40 bucks for a freaking, yeah, yeah. You know, forty bucks for your friend, for your pal, for your buddy. You know, you just you know, at least at least know where I stand with you now. That's all. That's all. Right. No problem. Oh yeah, that voice you hear—that uh, would be uh, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here. And for those tuning in for the first time, this is the Order sixty six podcast, the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role playing. Yeah, that. Ah, yeah, that. So <laughs> you know this um, here on this ten ten ten. Uh, our little, our little uh, Red Shoe Rangers, you know, Dallas, Texas zone uh, baseball team. Um, yeah, they came out. They they're playing the Tampa Bay Rays, and they came out and they beat them first two games. Boom, boom. We're like, yay! The Rangers are finally going to win a playoff series because they're the only Major League Baseball team to have never won a playoff series, and they've come home and promptly laid two eggs at home. <sighs> Going to the bottom of the ninth now, 5-2 Rays. And, uh, I mean, you just don't beat the Rays closer, so. No. I mean, he's not Mariano Rivera, but he's not bad either, so. <sighs> anyway. So frustrating. We so hold frustrating. out. We hold out hope for Cliff Lee back in Tampa. Yeah. I hate, that it had, I hate that it had to go to the fifth game, but. Yeah. What are you going to do? So in the history of MLB, the only four teams have uh, ever gone 2-0 and in the first two games and were pulled to a fifth game. That's only happened four times in the history of Major League Baseball. 
all four times the team that won the first two games lost the final game. <laughs> That's depressing. Yep. So there you go. All <sighs> us uh, Closet Ranger fans will have to go back and hope for next year. So anyway, I'm not even going to watch the game Tuesday night. That's how bad I am. Aww. I'll probably watch it, but I don't care. Wait, do you know? Oh, sorry. Ah, good. New acquisition. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Yeah, so I played that intro right over you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, when's the last time that happened? Seriously, I think I think the depressing nature of the Rangers has impeded on our normal telepathic progression of of you know oneness that prevents us from walking all over each other during. Yeah, I know. That's, That's what I'm talking about exactly. Done, but that's okay because it was a good bed. Because yeah, it was. Re- oh, see, look oh, there go. That's what I'm talking about right there. Can you believe that something like that would happen? No, I really can't. <laughs> I did that one on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you shocking. Yeah, you know. Anyway. Oh man. Yeah. So a featured podcast this week. Ooh. Episode number eight of Ooh. Chronicles, the Pathfinder podcast. The show is a very good show. You guys should check it out. Steelwind, Azmuth, Mark, Research have Tim Hitchcock mm. on the show. This guy has written such great episode, great things such as The Fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> really? I was not aware of that on his credit list. Oh. The Birds? No. No, that's, Al- that's Alfred. Oh, damn. All right. Well, maybe. RPGR, the author. Oh, well, maybe this guy is um, author of the Kingmaker modules. Well, one of them. Stone, well, Stolen Land. One of them. Yeah, the, the first yeah. one. The first of the highly popular Kingmaker modules. Yeah, it's called Stolen Land. So um, with Tim on the show, they uh, they talk about that module and spend some time Converting some of the key feature, uh, key uh, creatures to uh, to Pathfinder, and introduce all their listeners to a new character build, the Order of the Viper, which sounds really cool, mostly because it kind of sounds scary. It, it is. It's like a druid grappler. Really? It's it's yeah. It's he he like he gets his snake on. He gets know? his snake on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very entertaining episode. You guys check it out, and of course all the podcasts that. We have to offer uh, d20radio.com as we say goodbye to another podcast that has um, sort of uh, willfully decided to that uh, their last show was the last uh, of their shows, and that would be All Stop, the uh, podcast devoted to Star Trek Online. Are we ever going to have a successful MMO podcast? Uh, we have to have a successful MMO game first. Ah, that is going to be the... Uh, uh, I mean, if we had a World of Warcraft podcast, well, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that's like like throwing a 75th wheel on a car that has 74 wheels. That's kind of... Right. You know, yeah. So, 
Yes, indeed. We hold out hope for Star Wars The Old Republic. Yeah. Dude, it's Bioware. It's going to rock. I'm just saying. That's my prediction now. It's it going to be the, It's going to be t- awesome. It should, dude. I know. It really should. It should. Juicy bits of web goodness. Oh, we got a lot. Oh, yes. God, do we have a lot of juicy bits of good web, uh, web goodness. Um, well, to start off, we're once again featuring Fandom Comics, Clone Wars Saga Edition fan source book. Uh, the current chapter, which released around the first of the month, uh, focuses on the Jedi Knights of the Clone Wars. It's a very cool chapter. Um, in addition, there's two more pieces of conceptual artwork for an upcoming webcomic, which has also been posted on the site for looking for some cool artwork. It's there. But this Jedi Knight chapter, 20 pages long, details 14 of the bravest Jedi Knights during the Clone Wars era. Uh, there's also a new martial arts feat and talent to accompany them. And there's some cool characters. Some of them include uh, Nadar Veb from Season 1 of the Clone Wars cartoon, oh. uh, B- Boltar Swan, Empatojavos Brand. Empatojavos? Empatojavos Brand. I bet he speaks Spanish. Possibly. Um, from the, uh, the old uh, Dark Empire comics. And also the chapter contains two pieces of original artwork created specifically for the chapter. Uh, the Mon Calamari Bant Irin from the Jedi Apprentice and Decide Your Destiny novellas. Uh, drawn by Steve Criado. And Durnar, yet another Mon Cal Jedi, uh, was painted by Matt Skilton. Very cool art. Remember, new chapters posted on the Phantom Comics website first of every month. And they can be downloaded for free right now at www.fandomcomics.com. Yes, indeed. Yep. So, friend of the show and Star Wars RPG developer, uh, not to mention simply amazing dude, Mm. Sterling Hershey, (sighs) has provided us with something truly amazing. He started a new feature on his blog, Star Wars Wednesdays. So every week he's going to be posting new Star Wars gaming-related freebies and or general comments on some cool piece of, st- of the Star Wars world. So right now, Sterling has something cool. All right, so like most of us, Sterling is a fan of uh, Order 66 sponsor Chris West and MapsOfMastery.com. So Sterling created his first stat pack for the Maps of Mastery line. The stat pack provides stats for all the ships and vehicles on Chris's first three poster maps and two terrain card sets. So this is a dozen stat blocks for everything from the Exodus-class heavy courier to the shuttles, escape pods, speeder bikes that graces Chris' beautiful work. Awesome. Yeah. So now this week, since we missed a weekend of of, uh, podcasting, right, he went out of his way to answer uh, some of the tough questions that... uh, Players often ask, when I get a ship, what stats do I, do I change, and uh, how do I change them? So he compiled a Starship stat block cheat sheet, very concise, and explains how to convert a ship's stat blocks for character use, as well as providing a really nice little ship sheet. It is so cool. It's like, it's like a little stat block cheat blob, and you just it goes through every stat in a ship's block, and it tells you... Uh, this stays the same, this stays the same, this, take it what it is, and subtract this, and then add this to get you, I mean, exactly what it would be if your character was piloting or gunning. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. It's awesome. So you guys head over. Uh, tremendous props to Sterling for doing this for all of us, and you can download all that for free right now. It's Sterling Hershey's blog, which is www.com. 
sterlinghershey.com. Darn Skippy. Silver Chocolate. So, at the first of the month, Dave, we got it live. Mm, that would be 10 days ago. That would be 10 days ago. The D20 Radio Partner Program, which we have talked about before, is up and running. And you guys should sign up now. Um, so t- talk to me about the details, dude. What? If, if you want to be a partner of D20 Radio and help support the network, you can through a financial contribution. But it's not just goodwill you're giving. You'll be getting something in uh, return. Yes. You get special D20 Radio branded PDFs, which means you can print them over and over and over again. And use them in different combinations and permutations to make uh, big maps. Uh, special PDFs of Chris West's uh, map tiles. So these maps will be will fit together uh, 20 by 24 uh, by the time we get to the full set. Because you're going to get, basically you're going to get a map tile every month from us via email. And those will ultimately fit together into a nice big set. But here's the cool thing. Now, if you start before the end of the month, which is October 31, Halloween, you get nine maps or nine tiles as a set. Like, you know, extra stuff. So what you get is you'll get a land-based landing platform and a space-based landing platform variants basically on the main tiles that everyone will get but you get bonus you get extra because you started in october you're a, like a pilot partner program person quad p is what we call it in the industry uh-huh yes and and oh yes sterling hershey has given us a stat block for d20 partner program people PDF of the there's a ship actually docked in one of the variant tiles and you get a stat block. In fact, that one's going out in November with the package for all the peeps that sign up in October. So, so okay, so you get an exclusive PDF of this map tile that we obviously all together they'll make a, a full map every month. What is this going to cost a listener? It is the bargain price of six ninety five a month. That's not bad. Hey, you're getting a hard value, so it's all yes, good stuff. And you're getting, you know, figure we'd say thanks and thanks a lot actually to Chris West for helping us out here. Absolutely. And these are just gorgeous. I remember when Chris sent them over to us, I was just I literally I was drooling. I'm already thinking about how I'm gonna work these into my next uh into my next game. Yeah. I'm just ugh. Yeah. Oh, see, it's, awesome. it's it's like Cyril in the chat room is saying, yeah, you know, that's just one of those deals. You just go to Starbucks once a month. <laughs> that's right. That's, well, it's one cup of Starbucks coffee. Yep. It's a final. The Rangers have officially lost, and they go back to Tampa for game five. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. So, yes, all those juicy bits of web goodness and all this other stuff. And I had another juicy bit of web goodness, by the way, that it's a very late addition to the show notes, not even in the show notes. We talked way back on episode 100, Sam, talking about X-Wing, TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance. Yeah. You know, you can't play those on modern day machines. No. You can now. (gasps) 
If you go to our forums, there is a, in the Order 66 podcast forum, there's a thread that is actually titled Episode 100 Comments. And it has been altered. It's a modding community that has altered them so that they will run on your Windows 7 XP, whatever, of X-Wing, TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance, and they have something like 250 variations of the ships that you can actually play. It can be played on full 1080 PHD. Whoa. And I'm assuming there's links to download these things. There are links in the thread, which takes you to, like, the big blog of the dude that's, like, running the program. And it's all free. You know, this is all just modded stuff. And you can download both the the client that you need and the actual games themselves so you can play. Um, it's not the full game, but they've taken, like, I don't know, I think it was like 10 of the of the missions out of the original X-Wing and then a whole bunch of other stuff. So, you know, that's just, man. God, that's awesome web goodness. Awesome web goodness. Oh, yes. So you also, guys check it out. One more question I guess I had about the D20 Radio Partner Program. Um, for those who are interested, how would they go about signing up, Dave? Ah, yes, you do that at d20radio.com. There is a link on the front page that says, Become a D20 Radio Partner. And it says, big red letters, bonus offer available till October 31. d20radio.com, about halfway down the page, it says, come to the dark side, we have cookies. <laughs> Yep, and then you follow that link, and you can sign up via PayPal. That's how we uh, do all our checkouts and all that stuff. So uh, it is an automatic subscription. You start when you want, you end when you want, and you get map tiles every month that you are a member. And not only that, we have some additional stuff that that we've had some listeners send in, and uh, there will be some desert tiles that pop in for November as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hey, I got one more thing also to add on since we're doing some ad hoc additions here. Yep. Um, I just got a wonderful communication from Ben Malbury, who is the author, uh, also known as Notless Stat or Ultramyth, on the various Star Wars forums out there. And he's the guy who's been working on Saga Forge, one of those awesome Excel-based uh, character generators. Yep. And um, I'm pleased to announce that D20 Radio will happily be hosting that very shortly. Ah, yes. Very nice. Good, good stuff. Uh-huh. That yeah. work, his work is just incredible. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm tickled pink that we're going to be happily hosting it. And uh, kudos to, to Ben for all his hard work and uh, that benefits all of us. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now we do this. This is a Holiday News update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. To appease consumer advocates and progressives, today the Senate passed a sweeping piece of legislation that regulates the use of jetpacks throughout the empire. The new law requires all jetpack owners, or jetpackers, to obtain a license at the soon-to-be-created Department of Wearable Vehicles, or DWV for short. The empire plans to open at least one regional office on a single planet once per year which means all citizens will have local access to a DWV on their home planet in roughly five millennia. Obtaining a license will require the jetpack pilot to pass a written exam in a language not of his or her choosing. Jetpackers hoping to pass this test are encouraged to brush up on their Hatiz, Twi'lek, Jawaese, Shrywook, Binary, and Wampa language skills. 
There will also be a flight test that will require jetpackers to demonstrate use of all hand signals that must be used while in flight. These include specific gestures for left turn, right turn, ascent, descent, acceleration, deceleration, pitch up, pitch down, yaw left, yaw right, roll left, and roll right. The DWV Jetpack Safety Manual also recommends combining the hand signals if the pilot is executing multiple maneuvers simultaneously. Should a jetpacker fail to demonstrate knowledge of all 12 hand signals, they'll be forced to take a job at the DWV where they will spend no less than four years providing subpar customer service to the angry masses. The Senate delegation from Mandalore opposed this law because of the use of these complicated hand signals will prevent the jetpacker from wielding a weapon while in flight. The progressives and consumer advocates who championed the law replied by saying, that's the whole point. The Mandalorian delegation did agree with only one provision of the new law that requires helmets to be worn at all times while in flight. This is because Mandos love their helmets more than they love their own children. Because they opposed the new law, Imperial bureaucrats have determined they will begin construction of a DWV regional office on Mandalore in roughly 4,999 years from now. It is expected that the first DWV regional office will be opened on the planet Hoth. Their webpage indicates that the wait time to be served in this office is already six years. DWV staff have purchased hundreds of Tauntaun carcasses to keep the jetpackers warm as they wait outside the building. This has been a Holonet News Network update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Ah, to be a jetpacker. Ah, yes. D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. The D20 docking bay, where we answer your questions submitted uh-huh. by listeners by multiple methods, such as email, private message, forum post, the occasional phone call in which we of which we have two today. Indeed. And, two. Uh, yes, what's that number? Uh, 206-600-5872 or L-U-S-A. Lusa! Lusa! Yes, we have two. We have one, actually, that is going to like be the impetus for the whole show. Oh, okay. Yes, that one. Yeah, and then we have one that's you know just a one. Gotcha. Yeah, so if you guys want to send in any liners that you never listen to the Order 66 podcast, you can do the same with the same phone number email gm david d20 radio.com gm chris at d20 radio.com uh-huh yeah all right so our first email comes from guthmunder not sure great name just gonna call him gryffindor so he says hey guys in the last campaign that i ran i had a problem understanding the natural healing rules more Specifically, I had a problem with the features of my characters that changed the natural healing rules. First, I had a Wookiee, Soldier Elite Trooper. Uh-huh. I uh-huh. like it. I like it. In the party who uh, took his fair share of damage. Page 32 of the core rulebook says that Wookiee gets Extraordinary Recuperation, which is written allows Wookiee to regain hit points as double the normal rate. 
is. What does double the normal rate means? So, Natural Healing, page 148, says, uh, After eight hours rest, a creature regains hit points equal to its level. That simply means he gets twice the amount of his level every eight hours. That's the way I take it. Anyway, oh, wait, let me let me read the rest of the question. So, does the double the rate mean Wookiee needs only four hours of rest to regain his character level of hit points? Or he gets double his level after eight hours? Ding, 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 B, 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 say B. B, 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 it's B. All right, the second problem. Was the Jedi Knigget in the party with Force Trance? Page 77 says, Each hour you remain in the trance, you regain a number of hit points equal to your character level. If you remain in a Force Trance for four consecutive hours, you emerge fully rested, as though you'd rested for four hours. This sounds like the Jedi has a limit of four hours to stay in the trance, but it continues. In a Force Trance, you can go... Ten times as long as normal without food or water. Does the Jedi continue to gain hit points after the four hours? So after the four hours, does the Jedi get five times her level? Character level times hour plus the effect of eight hours rest? Well, thanks for the help. He says six in advance plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. (laughs) Guthmunder. Okay, so two questions here, I guess. And the first, as you said, we've covered this before. It's worth covering again. Wookiees. Extraordinary recuperation, cool yeah. ability. Yeah. But don't overthink it. It has been clarified by the developers that it means that Wookiees who rest for eight hours heal twice their character level. Yep. That's it. B. B. Now, Force Trance. Um, you are overthinking this quite a bit, but that's okay because lots of people do. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Force Trance uh, use of the Use the Force skill, page 77 of the Core Rulebook, lets a Jedi meditate to heal basically. Uh, The thing is, though, it has a lot of benefits as well, which act independently of each other, and I think your confusion is in assuming that they're related when they're not. Okay, so let's go over them. Benefit one. When you meditate in a forced trance, you heal your character level every hour. Period. End of sentence. That's it. Yep. You force trance for five hours, you heal five times your character level. You force trance for eight hours, you heal eight times your character level. Period. End of story. Yes, end of story. Benefit number two, no need to sleep. Okay, that, that's kind of the point there. As long as you meditate in a force trance for at least four hours, you receive the benefits of a full night's rest. That's it. This is independent of any healing. It just means that you don't need to sleep. You can meditate instead, and you don't take penalties to your perception checks when you're doing that. Ah. Okay? With me so far? With ya. All right. Benefit number three. You can meditate in a force trance to slow your metabolism. Basically, you can go 10 times as, longer, as long without, as normal without food or water. And this is a minor benefit, but it's a, a great tool for the Jedi who's stuck on a wrecked ship in space or on a barren planet awaiting rescue. These are disparate abilities. They are what they are. And they don't affect one another in the way you might be thinking. They just work as they're written. Okay? Capiche? Makes, makes sense? Yeah. All right. Cool. Good question. Okay. And 11 posted a good question. Uh, It's common to a lot of players. He says, I am not sure if this question's already been asked, but I was wondering whether the effects of two feats can be stacked. Well, that depends now, doesn't it? For example, if I have a character with both the point-blank shot and the careful shot feats, will he get plus one to attack from the point-blank shot feat for being within point-blank range together with the plus one from careful shot? If he aims in the same round to end up with a plus two bonus, I'm inclined to say yes. 
But I was wondering what the rules according to Raw says. So thanks for the great help. Hmm. Uh, this is an easy question, but it is commonly missed. Um, stacking bonuses incorrectly, sadly, it occurs kind of all too often at D20 systems. First off, check out a usually overlooked sidebar on page 241 of the core rulebook. Okay? This sidebar tells you exactly how various bonuses stack or don't stack. Bottom line, to summarize it, bonuses of the same type do not stack. You'll always take the highest. Right. So a character receiving like a plus one insight bonus and a plus two insight bonus from different sources, they would only have a plus two. A character with a plus two morale bonus and a plus one insight bonus would have a plus three. Um, There are some exceptions to that, however. Uh, The first is an untyped bonus where there is no descriptor for the bonus, such as with point blank shot and careful shot, thus in terms of your specific question, yes, those two would stack. But also, dodge and circumstance bonuses do stack with each other, uh, despite having the same descriptor. And that is all covered in that sidebar on page 241, so give it a look. Yep. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have a uh, pretty straightforward question here that got, uh, see, remember? I said three, four different ways you could send it. This was a mm-hmm. PM. Private message from Darth Prefect. Who asks? Just a quick question for Order 66 that really can't be answered on the forums. So, I don't know. How do you pronounce whippid or whiffid or whip hide? I have no idea how else. I would always just say whippid, but anyway, or I, I can see why some people would say whiffid, but. Uh, I can't for the life of me figure this out, but since I like the species quite a bit, I figured it couldn't hurt to ask. So, <laughs> This is an interesting question. Um, uh, for those following along at home in their storybooks, uh, the saga stats for uh, whippids, which is what I call them, uh, are found on page 18 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. Whippids are, are tall, muscled, furry, sentient beings from the planet Tula, noted for their great tusks. Uh, there has been at least one known whippid Jedi master, Master Kukruk. Uh, whippids are very large creatures, about two and a half meters tall. They weigh in at up to 400 kilos, Woo! and they're, they're known to be amazing hunters. Um, and they are large creatures in terms of saga stats. Um, I did a lot of research on this, and I could have missed something, but in terms of any uh, official documentation, or really even unofficial, I tried Wikipedia as well to try and scour various articles. I found no pronunciation guide. Um, I've always pronounced it whippid, uh, but Whiffed, whiffed to me just sounds stupid. It does. So I like whippid. Because yeah. that way you can, you can make a character and you could call him whippid good. Something, you know. You know, that way you can say, yeah. What's your name? Whippid. Whippid good. dun 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 Yep. All right. Last email question comes from Big Dumb Gamorian. <laughs> <laughs> what a great name. Who is curious about some feats? He says, for feats like rebel military training and the like, is the name simply just fluff, or does the character actually have to be part of the organization to take the feat? That's a good question. Um, so there's several of these military training feats out there. They, they provide like military tactic benefits that are centered around the military style of certain groups in the Star Wars universe. Um, there's Galactic Alliance military training, Imperial military training, Rebel military training, Republic, Separatist, Sith military training. 
Um, but yeah, hey, good, good question. Do you have to be a Sith warrior to get Sith military training or be part of the Rebel Alliance to get Rebel military training? Uh, as far as the raw, the rules as written go, Gamorrean, there is no feat requirement that says you have to be part of the listed organization. And this could make sense, especially if you learn the tactics secondhand. Okay? Uh, but, you know, I find a, a common GM ruling is to require the taker of the feat to have at least some experience with the listed organization. And I, I wouldn't begrudge a GM for, for making that claim, but per strict rules as written, no, it's not a requirement. Although there is a Gungan military training that allows you a plus two bonus to attack while you're trying to board a moving vehicle. <laughs> Gungan military training. Once per encounter, you can turn a natural one into a natural 20. <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> the Jar Jar effect. That's right. Oh. That's right. It. So, uh, yeah. Thank you very much for the questions. We have one. Um. We actually have one that is uh, comes in and it's a little soft, so you guys will have to turn your radios up right now. But here it is. Hey guys, I had a question. I was going through the Galaxy of Intrigue and I found an equipment upgrade called Componentization, where you can break down your equipment into smaller disguised parts, which is pretty darn neat. But I didn't see a cost for it. Was there an errata for that, or what would you cost it at if you were doing? Thanks for um, answering, guys. And this is Free Clint from Atlanta, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Well, thank you, Free Clint from Atlanta. Very nice. Um, good question. Uh, componentization, uh, page 68 of, uh, gosh, uh, the Galaxy of Intrigue, as he said. Um, it's pretty cool. It's like, you know, if you want to. Like have, you have a sniper rifle and you want to get it past customs or whatever, you can break it down into smaller pieces so it looks like a comm link and a data pad and a hollow projector and a personal computer, you know, and then reassemble it later, you know. Um, the text is clear that it costs one upgrade slot, but there is no mention whatsoever of the actual cost in credits to do this. Um, and of course, there has not been an errata yet because there hasn't been an errata released in some time, and this was like one of the last books released. So. Um, yeah. If I if I had to take an educated stab at it, Dave, um, just taking a look at some of the costs for upgrades uh, that are kind of standard. Um, first of all, this is a universal upgrade, um, which you know, page forty, uh, scum and villainy. If we take a look at some of the other universal upgrades out there, and that are one one upgrade slot is, is what it co- is what they cost. I mean, you could be going anywhere from you know five hundred to a thousand credits for. You know, average stuff, you know, I mean, but it's kind of all over the board. I mean, silver plate costs 2500 and that's just a, a one upgrade slot you know, thing. But then again, it's kind of expensive for plating something in silver. Um, considering what it does, I would probably lean towards a cost of 1,000 credits because this is a pretty complex technical thing. And when I looked at stuff like, you know, electro grapple handle and, you know, um, uh, you know or, or like cloaked, uh, things of that nature, um, that you know, put it at like seven fifty, a thousand credits. I, I'd consider it in the same technological level in terms of what it does and the benefit it can impart to a player. So safely, I would put it at a thousand credits, maybe seven fifty if you're feeling generous. Yep. So, so there you are. Thank you very much. And uh, speaking of uh, Arada and Rodney, um, Shabuda in the chat room is asking, when is the next time that Rodney Thompson will be back on the Order sixty six podcast? That's a good question. We tentatively have him scheduled for next week. Tentatively, if he if we can manage the time, because it's going to have to be an early show for us. 
But um, I don't know that we're going to have time to question him out. I don't think that's the purpose of him coming on the show. But we uh, are going to have good, the good Mr. Thompson on the show fairly soon Indeed. Uh, to, to talk to us all. Yes. So I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to that. So are we. Oh, yes. But good questions, guys. And again, if you want to uh, leave questions for us, you know, give us a call at the Lusa line, email us, or get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forum, forums, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> get us what you want us to talk about. Although, if you go forum, it'll redirect you to forums. It'll redirect there, yeah. So you're safe either yeah, way. Yeah, you're safe. It is, absolutely. <laughs> yep. It burns. It freezes. It burns at us. Ah. Uh, yes. Okay, so... Now, uh, what do we do podcast-related? Why don't we do this? Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules. You were gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Shut up. Motion granted. Yeah. Uh huh. Welcome to Suspending the Rules, our semi regular segment where we discuss house rules submitted by you, the Gamer Nation, for this lovely game that we all like to play. No. So. We're calling this Slamming with the Lightsaber Hilt. (laughs) And this house rule comes to us this week from Lefties Will Rule. I like that name, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is uh, Slamming a Foe with the Hilt of Your Lightsaber. So I'm trying to figure out how to allow a character to hit an opponent with the hilt of his lightsaber. So you've got to admit, it's pretty cinematic. The trick is to make it available without making it overused or a bad choice. My idea would be to make it a lightsaber combat talent. Once per round, you may activate this talent prior to making an attack roll with a lightsaber held in two hands against an opponent wielding a lightsaber. Take a minus two penalty on your attack roll. If your attack hits and your opponent succeeds in using the block talent in response to your attack, You may immediately make an attack with the hilt of your lightsaber, dealing 2d4 plus 2 times strength damage, plus half your character level, of course. This attack cannot be prevented with the block talent. So basically, you can do this every time you get blocked, as long as you don't have, like, double or triple attack. I would be interested in what you think about this and... Would greatly appreciate it if you discussed this on the podcast, in which we are. Mm. This is an interesting house rule. Um, however, <laughs> I'm I'm not a huge fan of it, mostly because I think it's a very simulationist rule for what I feel is a very gamist system. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean that when we watch the movies, Dave, and Obi Wan swings his lightsaber three times in a split second against Anakin, he's not actually making three attack rules in Saga Edition. He's making one. It's just a fluffy description. Um, I feel the same thing applies to the hilt slam when you see it in the films. Um, Attacking with a lightsaber, one attack roll, probably looks like a series of strikes. That's kind of my philosophy on it. 
Um, but okay, if you're not in line with that philosophy, this rule might have some merit. My only trepidation is that whole immune to block thingy. I think that's really hardcore. I don't know of any other attack option, Dave, in the Saga rule set that has that ability. I mean, yeah. and, and, and do you need it? I mean, if you do indeed treat this as a second attack, uh, then that second block attempt would already be at a minus five. So if he blocks the right. first attack, you get blocked. Oh, then you try to slam with the hilt. He's already going to be blocking again at a minus five. That, that's yep. good enough to me. Yep. I think I think it being unblockable is kind of a little overbalanced for my taste. Yep. I mean, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I'd go with that ex- as exactly. That's what the chat room's talking about, too, is allow it to be blocked, give the standard penalty. Um, I, I really don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's kind of a cool deal. It is kind of a cool deal. It's an easy way to get an extra attack around. I, I do have a problem, though, with the fact that it doesn't require an action to activate, so the argument could be made that you could use it with double attack, triple attack, or even with, dual, with um, or, well, but double attack, triple attack, basically. Um, or technically dual weapon mastery if you're using a two-handed lightsaber. Um, or a double-bladed lightsaber, excuse me. Um, so I would probably also tack on that it requires a swift action to activate prior yeah. to your attack. That I like way that. you would be limited to one attack per round. Yeah. That would be kind of good, too, because when you're using a full-round action with a double or triple or whatever... Yeah. yeah. It's just that... You know, like but, it. but making it part of the, the, the lightsaber combat talent tree, I mean, that's a basic Jedi talent tree. A first-level Jedi could pick this up. And the ability to circumvent a block entirely is just a little too badass for a first-level Jedi, for my tastes. Yeah. So. I'm with it. you. I am with you, my friend. Sounds really good to me. All right, so that brings us up to Fragments from the Rim, and uh, GM, Darth GM, does not disappoint. Fragments number 63. Coming your way right now, and we'll be back in about 2 minutes and 17 seconds. So, GM Phil. My lords, welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? I'm Darth GM, and this is segment number 63 of Fragments from the Rim. Damage. Admit it, you love it. You love dealing it. You love seeing how many extra dice you get to roll for damage. You love seeing the highest possible value come up on the dice you roll for damage. You love the sound your cupped hands make as you shake those many-sided polyhedrons like some demented, nerdy maraca player. You love the sight of all those dice bouncing as they are unleashed upon the table. What you don't like is when one of those dice comes up as a 1, or even a 2, depending on the die. You see that rogue polyhedron sitting there. It's taunting you. Laughing at you. Woe is me! If only there was some way I could remove that offensive die from my total! Well, you can, Gamer Nation. With the Assured Attack feat. Found on page 28 of the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, this worthy feat states, whenever you deal damage to a target with an attack roll and you roll multiple dice, you can re-roll the lowest damage die, but must keep its second result, even if it's worse. This feat has no prerequisites. It has very few limitations. It can be used anytime you make an attack. It can be used on the ground or in space. It can be used with single target weapons, area attacks, or vehicle weapons. It can be used multiple times in a round. It's a bonus feat for Jedi and soldiers. Just about the only thing you can't use this with is force powers, and it'll even work with some of those. I'm looking at you, lightsaber form powers. So anytime you roll horrifically on damage rolls, you can try to re-roll that lowest die and hope to get something a little bit better. Or a lot better, if you can turn that 1 into an 8 or a 10. Let's face it, there aren't too many attacks out there where you only roll one die for damage. 
This feat can really help bump up your average damage for your character. We've come to the end of another episode, Gamer Nation. If you have any questions or comments, send them along to d20darth at gmail.com. Until next time, 20 side up, 1 side down. You have been listening to Fragments from the Ring and Transmission. Yeah. Nice. Great feat. Very good. It's very, very good to me. You know how that goes, right? Mm-hmm. Intimately, Dave. Intimately. Ah, uh, indeed. So, a um, couple things. First, I need to begin our discussion with a question from a listener. So let's listen to this real quick. Like, for a second. It comes from Lass. Hi, yes. This is Lass. And I have a question for the Order 66 podcast. I'm wondering what your thoughts and experiences might be in applying the Star Wars Sock Edition rule set to other role-playing genres. For example, Wild West, Fantasy, or even Cyberpunk. I have this crazy idea in my mind of doing a Shadowrun game using Sock rules. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Sex in advance. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's just fantastic. Sex in advance to you too. Uh, yes, very much. In fact, uh, next time. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. All right, it's great. Um, one, I don't know how on earth she gets her voice to like go uh, back and forth in my headphones like that. It makes, magic. It makes my ears really like insane. And, uh, yeah. Magic. Magic. It is magic. I'm, I'm going I'm to risk offense and say it's magically delicious. It is mad. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is absolutely magically delicious. That's right. With your voice like that, if you keep calling in like that, then I'll play you every single time you send something in. I promise. <sighs> okay, now that I'm firmly distracted, um, we'll do this. means it's time for the meat. Beefy. And tonight's uh, talk, Gamer Nation, we're going to tentatively call Saga Without the Star Wars. What? Yeah, I know. Uh, but it, engendered from Lass's good question, you know, there's those of us who love Saga, okay, as an amazing system, okay, and this is a common question. Many of the features of Saga Edition, they're, they're hailed by its fans, um, to make it one of their favorite D20 systems ever created. And for us role players, sometimes, you know, Star Wars just isn't enough. <laughs> you know, frankly, like, I like to get my fantasy on from time to time. I grew up on Tolkien, okay? I cut my teeth on D&D. All right, I have fond memories of Call of Cthulhu and D20 Modern. Sometimes, for many of us, such settings just call out to be played. But we find ourselves returning to Saga strictly for the mechanics. Yes. So... so those of us who agree that this system is the most fun, easy, and cinematic system out there under the D20 umbrella often ponder using it to play in settings besides Star Wars. And that, my good man, is what we're going to talk about tonight. See, Lass, what you've done, you've created a monster. Mm -hmm. A monster which is going to parade through the show. 
with grisly horror. For those who want to play in settings besides Star Wars using this great system, what is the best path to take? How can you best adapt this system to other settings? What precepts should you follow and what pitfalls should you avoid? What are some good examples you can look to for inspiration? Sit back, relax, grab your copies of Shadowrun, your collected editions of Lord of the Rings, your Lovecraft stories, and a pad and pencil. It is time to rock yours and several other worlds. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I really want this to be a, a kind of a, a really open discussion, Dave. Um, I, I know that you know, you've not really done any RPG design or module creation or anything like that. So from that point of view, you're very much the person who has a lot of questions to ask. Um, I'm going to try and throw in there my observations and, and my own um, non-Star Wars saga systems. Um, and if we have time at the end, I would absolutely love to entertain some questions from the chat room um, or, or others who might be willing to maybe Skype in if that's possible. Um, if we have time. I know we're kind of on a time crunch today. Okay. Um, but you, what, what do you say we just kind of hit the ground running and get going? Sure, why not? Okay. So there is one caveat I would like to talk about, Dave, first before we get into this discussion further, and that is the caveat of publication. Right. <laughs> so... Let's say you're anxious to create your own sagified system and watch players across the world enjoy it. Are you ready for the glamorous and starstruck life of the professional game designer? Endless nights of wine, women's song, and natural 20s, wealth and fame. <laughs> so sorry. Bum, bum, ba, bum. <laughs> Star Wars Saga Edition is not an open gaming license. That is right. The Saga Edition rule set is not open content. This means that Wizards of the Coast and Lucasfilm own it, buddy. And I doubt very much they would take too kindly to somebody altering the system and then deciding to sell it. <laughs> Twould be bad. It would be um, bad. I mean, you can alter it. At the point where you were to alter it to get to a point where you could sell it, um, similar to what Gary Sarley's doing with his E20 system, it's, it's you know, kind of saga-ish, but it's, it's a radical departure. At that point, it truly is a different system. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about using Saga as it is in another setting. Right. And that's a key distinction we've got to make now. Okay? Yep. So when you do this, your hard work is going to have merit, but only in the area of free fan-made publications. You're going to be doing this for your gaming group and for the community and for no one else. Cool? Sure. Okay. Well, Dave, what's the first question, I guess, any prospective GM or, or amateur designer who's trying to do this should ask themselves. Well, it's probably, well, it, it may, it's either a question or a motivation. Mm. Like, you know, it's my, what, you know, what's my vote of motivation? What, what's my game? What, what am I doing here? Am I going fantasy? Am I going, what am I doing? So anyway, what's the setting? What's the setting? Um, I think you need to ask yourself that and your group. And you need to cover some key questions to determine if Saga is the right system for this setting you want to play. Um, and there, there's a few questions that need to be asked, um, three in particular. Um, the first one, Dave, very important. Extremely. Extremely. Is the setting you're wanting to play in cinematic? What do I mean by that? At its core, Saga is a system that handles the cinematic brilliantly. Flashy scenes, over-the-top action. Uh, the characters are not so much acting out chapters from a story as they are acting out scenes in a film. Okay? So, you know, 
I don't know if you've ever read Lord of the Rings, but I know you've seen the, the films, oh, yeah. Dave. Of course I read them. Okay. The stark departure between the books and the films. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are that, you know, we don't have 17 chapters talking about the travel from Parth Galen. It's not, you know, it, it's very, you know, it, it's, it's cinema you know, as opposed to literature. And that, that's a very stark distinction. And in role-playing games, there are those that cater to one or the other. Um, so is your setting cinematic? In terms of that question, Dave, are there are there any questions that you should be specifically asking yourself around a cinematic system in terms of what, what your game group is comfortable with? Yeah, I would say. You know, are you, what are you going to do in terms of, you know, the way our system handles this is with the force points and destiny points, right? Mm. So are you comfortable with a character doing what is almost impossible every once in a while by using these destiny or force points? That's a good question to ask. Because right? if you're wanting something super gritty, this is not going to be the system for you. Right. You know, and also, um, are you comfortable with, with a, a game system where uh, the characters can go down, like, really fast, uh, but they don't go down for the count, you know? Rarely, if ever. Right. I mean, character death is very difficult to do in this system. Right. Um, you know, healing, not that common, but death, very uncommon. So, is the setting cinematic? Question two, very important. A lot of people don't think about this. Do economics matter in the setting you want to play? Yeah, big time departure from D&D. Yeah, this is a very important question. People don't stop to ask this. It's like you say, man, Saga is not a system that supports the acquisition of wealth for wealth's sake. And we've talked about this before, okay? That D&D maxim of loot it all and sell it later, it doesn't work in Saga. Now, this is because it's not Star Wars. But what you have to consider is that the Saga mechanics were built with that precept in mind. So if you're going to be moving to a fantasy game, it has to keep that cinematic flair and not turn into a series of epic dungeon crawls where we're killing things and taking their stuff. Right. So uh, what questions for those who are concerned about economics should they be asking themselves? So in this case, is it okay with you that money is very little in terms of importance to your characters? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's not going to be a very big goal to accumulate wealth. And, uh, you know, aside from a couple of, you know, maybe one character in your group, uh, economics really aren't even going to matter. I, I can't tell you the last time I even looked to see how many credits Solora yeah. had. Yeah, that's uh, it. You know, if I ever have. Um, another one I would say is... Um, the big thing are you are you comfortable without having your players be reliant on finding cool stuff? You know, you're not going to find a lightsaber of plus one reflex. No, you know, I mean that's just that's not going to happen. First and foremost, Saga's system about more so relying on character abilities to accomplish the awesome as opposed to equipment. Um, you know, personal ability versus a magic sword, um, and that has to carry over as well. I mean, yeah, you can get some equipment in Saga that gives you some bonuses, but it's nothing compared to what somebody can do with their own feats and talents. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, the third question, I guess, is probably the most fundamental. What flavor works best for the group? Um, it's like last said. What? Fantasy? Modern? Futurism? You know, sci you know generic sci-fi? Pulp heroics? Horror? Westerns? Um, you know... 
what do you guys want to play? And that's really, if you can find a genre that you can get excited about, it will lend credence towards your efforts. You will not get bored with it. You will not get tired of it. And that's very important. Um, but I also think it's important to talk about something in terms of this, you know, what flavor works best for you. The reason a lot of people choose to do this, Dave, is that they're interested in making a game for one specific intellectual property. Yeah. And this is important to talk about because, you know, this usually is what prompts people to wanting to start creating their own saga systems. It's not the desire to play fantasy or play horror. There's already a bunch of good systems out there for that. What commonly motivates GMs to use saga in other ways is to play a specific IP that there isn't a game for or the game is there but it sucks or the group seriously dislikes the mechanics. You know, Halo, Dune, Mass Effect, Resident Evil, Indiana Jones, Doc Savage, A Fistful of Dollars, whatever. Back to the Future. Back to the Future, uh, The Last Starfighter, okay? It, it's there. So to start with, you need to find out what setting you're going to want to take it on. And that's going to guide all your decisions after the fact. You have to get comfortable with it, and you have to be firm in your decision. All right. So let's talk about beginning the process, and let's talk about some core precepts that really any amateur designer wanting to port to Saga really needs to know. Okay, these ideas have to be at the forefront of your thoughts through the entire process. Heck, write them down right now as we're talking. Write them down and boilerplate them at the front of your work, your journal. Take them to the side of your computer monitor. Okay, whatever. These are key precepts that you need to follow in every design decision you make when you are making a saga port. Tattoo them on your arm. Yes. <laughs> if you're, well, I guess if you're really hardcore. Um. And I, dude, I know you've got show notes in front of you, but I mean, I, you know, you and I have talked briefly about this, you know, and especially because I know you've provided a lot of creative input in terms of my fantasy uh, game that I'm, I'm, I've created. Um, so let's let's talk about these, man. What's what's the first preset that you've got to keep in your head at yeah, all times? Absolutely, have to keep it true to Saga, or at least as, tr- as true as you can, you know. Okay, well, el- elaborate. So, so what, what do we mean by this? So basically, what that means to me is do not reinvent the wheel. I mean, if you if you go and change it all up, then you've got you've got Sarley system. You do. You have a new system. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the deal. I mean, if you want to go create your own system and call it something else, great. If you want to use Saga for Saga's purposes, then keep it true to Saga. I think it's tempting, Dave, to throw in a whole bevy of house rules or new and alternate systems. You're like, man, I hate the way that blank system works, so I'm going to change it. And in my experience, this is generally not a good idea um, for a couple of very important reasons. Remember, you are, you know, you are porting an existing system. You're not creating a brand new one. That's, that's another discussion. <laughs> in fact, we'll have Sarley on the show to talk about that. <laughs> yep. Um, Saga has the advantage of being tested extensively years of play that have run the mechanics through the ringer and resulted in errata and rules clarifications and everything else so many people take for granted. Don't throw that away. Okay? When you add a new system or a new mechanic, it could potentially ruin the well-tested chemistry of the other mechanics in the game. This is something you want to do sparingly. Sometimes it has to be done, but you, you need to do it sparingly. All right? Sometimes, you know, you do need to do this, but it should have as minimal impact as possible, and it should be the exception to the rule. And remember also, removal, Dave, is always preferable to addition. Right. Okay. Um, a lot of 
GMs and designers don't like that when they're porting Saga. They, they want to add new stuff and try and keep everything the way it is. Sometimes you just got to cull something out. You know, and that's hard to do for a fanboy. Trust me. Yep. Okay. Keep it true to Saga. First precept on your boilerplate. Number one. N- number one. Number two. Number two. Use the existing mechanics. Mm-hmm. Just relabel. You said it, man. You just said it. Never underestimate the power of a label. Yeah, I mean, you just reset. These mechanics have been play tested, and they've been played, and they've they've been used now for years. They're balanced within the system. You know, I mean, so you change the name, all of a sudden it's a new feat. Woohoo! <laughs> and yet, still mechanically sound. Um, yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, so, you I mean, you got, I, I need a magic system for my fantasy game, a psychic power system for my modern or my horror game. Well, gee, use the existing force power mechanics. <laughs> right. And I, I only bring this up because a lot of the online things I've seen people doing this, they've created complex systems to add magic or psychic abilities. No, use what's there. Just call it something else. Okay. Very important. You know, uh, large-scale vehicle combat mechanics. Well, you know what? We have them. <laughs> Use the existing starship mechanics. Just change the labels from starships to sailing ships. Okay. Easy. Oh, did you did you notice? By the way, uh, I'm going to go completely off topic as I want to do, but I haven't done mm-hmm. it much lately. I was watching Titanic. I got sucked into watching Titanic yesterday. Did you notice that all the the when they were getting into the lifeboats? That the lifeboats were labeled USS Titanic? That makes no sense. Yeah. I, I noticed I noticed that on a plate on a on a, on one of those lifeboats. And uh, I was thinking, you know, I thought it was the RMS Titanic. Yeah. That so. wasn't I I think that was a, a an American ship. Yeah. Oh well. I mean it was built in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, okay, that being said, sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Sailing ships and... Um, sailing ships. See, the way your mind works, I love yep. it. But, oh. speaking of sailing ships... Okay, so we have precept one, keep it true to Saga. Precept two, use existing mechanics whenever possible. What is the third precept you must have on your boilerplate? Keep it sailing ships. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. Kiss. This is the core tenet of this system, folks. Saga, for the most part, is not complex. The systems are simple. They're quick to resolve with rules that are analogous of each other. Okay, space combat versus personal combat. Very close together. Not a whole lot of differences except for names. This is a key feature to a cinematic game. And whatever you do, when you make a change, when you add a new rule, when you're trying to port something, this should be the first, middle, and last thing you look at. Is it simple? Am I making this overly complex? Okay. So, that's your boilerplate. Boilerplate. Okay. Easy. Okay, let's, let's get on then to the core of Saga. Let's get into some serious discussion here and talk about really what it takes to mechanically port this system into another setting. Okay, we've talked a lot of generics up until now. Let's get specific. What specifically makes Saga what it is from a system mechanics level? What also, therefore, needs to be in your system setting? You can alter a lot of things, but there's some things that should never, ever, ever be messed with because they make Saga what it is. Yep. From a mechanical standpoint. Okay. 
the, the first one is the, the thing I love most about anything else in the saga system. And can you take a wild guess as to what that is? Well, only because I know you, it's going to be the condition track. Amen. <laughs> the condition track is unique to Saga. Okay, uh, I don't know another D20 system that uses it. And it is possibly its most powerful tool. It keeps the game KISS, and it is a core foundation of the system. Dave, we've played D&D. You played 3.5 with me, right? Of course. Yeah, played 3.0. You played three O with me. You played RCR with me back in you know and yeah. OCR for Star Wars. Yeah. One of the huge changes from a design perspective between those systems and this one is that if you notice, Saga has almost no status conditions. I mean, aside from blinded or flat-footed, uh, maybe helpless, there's really no conditions in the game. These prior systems we've mentioned. I mean, what 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 status conditions do they have? Second, oh my gosh, dude. You're deaf. You're confused. You're dazed. You're dizzy. Dazzled. You're yeah. I mean, you're uh, deafened. Your nose is crooked. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, your ear is halfway off. And, your and, hair is parted. Yes, and and each each had their own unique bonuses and penalties. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but it's not part of the saga system. The system removed those status conditions in favor of a single unified condition track. Okay. There's just the condition track. So when you're porting and you're having to write talents or feats or create something new, it should rarely, if ever, be imposing something on a character that's not related to the condition track if you're wanting to impose a status condition on somebody. Right. Okay. Um, okay, so the condition track, that's something hardcore. It needs to stay where it is. Um, what's next? I mean, because there, there's, there's kind of an elephant in the room for a lot of people that usually gets torn eight ways from Sunday. The and force. we kind of mentioned it briefly. Yeah, that's the, the force. force because you need, what, if you're going fantasy, you have to have magic. You said it. Yeah, or modern psionics, psychic powers. Yeah. Or uh, superhero game, mutation abilities. Okay. Mm, yes. Whatever. At its core, Saga has a quote-unquote magic system. Okay, we call it the Force. Just take the labels away, and you have a core mechanic that should be used as it is now. All magic, Force, psychic abilities, whatever you want to call it, function off of one skill check in Saga that is charisma-based. In other words, the Force of your personality. All right, and that needs to be replicated. Whether you call that skill you use the Force, or you use the mind, or you use magic, or activate mutation, or whatever you want to do. Wonder Twin Powers! Activate. Two, all specific effects for magic, the, you know, whether it's spells or force powers or manifestations or whatever label you want to give a force power, they are learned via a character feat. In other words, no class gets it as a bonus feat, and it is keyed off of wisdom, your personal intuition, awareness, insight. That core concept of the quote-unquote magic system should remain as is, regardless of where you're porting this to, regardless of what labels you give it or what you call it. That is what the quote-unquote magic system is balanced around. Alright? The next thing to talk about, Dave, um, is a little unusual, but it, it, it bears mentioning, um, and it, it kind of goes back to our first point. Uh, bonuses and penalties. Um... Dude, I mean, what? Like, like, like most D twenty systems. I mean, Saga has this pattern of specific actions that it follows. You, you can do almost anything in Saga, just not necessarily do it well. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, I can grab a pistol as a Jedi and shoot a target 
100 squares away, but I'm just going to take massive penalties to do it. You know what I mean? Right, because I'm not good at it. Because I'm not good at it. Um, so the, the penalty assignment is a huge part of any D20 system. The key differentiator we want to point out that you need to follow in terms of Saga is that Saga applies penalties in a specific format. Um, and you'll, you'll see this if you look at the penalties and the way they accrue. Uh, range is the most common example. They accrue in the same format as the condition track. Minus 1, minus 2, minus 5, minus 10. Okay? I, I bring this up because I've seen some other attempts to port Saga where people say, you know, well, if you do this, you take a minus 4 to your attack roll. Or, you know, with this, it's a minus 7 or something. It's like, I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> but in Saga, your penalties tend to follow the condition track. Okay? All right, Dave. Sure. Next, next mechanical precept to follow. What 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 are we looking at here? Um, you've got high damage weapons. Ah, see, this is something yeah. a lot of people don't consider. Yup, and that's I mean that's just the way you know Star Wars, both cinematically and from the saga based on the system, mm. is is really centered around wa- ranged uh, weapons. It is. I yes. almost said ranged weapons. <laughs> Wanged, Wanged Reppins. Yeah, that's almost like uh, what was that? What was the first big uh, Storm Pooper Truitry? That's right. Sto- storm Pooper Truitry. Ah, uh, yes. Anyway, <laughs> back to that. Ranged weapons are the king of Saga, all right? And typically do more base damage than melee weapons yeah. do. And that's just the way it is. So, you know, the system's designed, tested under that precept. So, you know, depending on your setting, it you know this might not always make sense for you, and and you may have to adjust it. But you know, that's what you've got to consider. That's what you've got to consider. At at the least, you do need to ha- do, do need to consider a few things, though. Basic weaponry should always deal at least two dice of damage. Okay. This means melee. Okay. Um, any melee weapon in your system should deal. Generally speaking, if it's a commonly used melee weapon, at least two dice of damage. Um, follow Saga when you can. You know, ranged weaponry of a modern or a futuristic bent should most likely deal three dice of damage. Guns, blasters, lasers, etc. However, for a low-tech ranged, we- ranged weaponry, in like a fantasy game, for example, it makes little sense for a longbow to deal more damage than a bastard sword. So at that point, I would say it's okay to reduce such fantasy-themed ranged weapons to two dice of damage. Yeah. And that's what I did in, in my own fantasy game. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Now, this might seem in contrast to Saga's... Because ex- people say, oh, wait, 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 wait. Saga has existing stats for slug throwers and bows and spears, okay? Um, you know, they, they deal, you know, in the case of slug throwers, two dice of damage. In the case of, you know, bows and spears, one dice of damage. But remember that, that in, in, in Star Wars, those weapons are supposed to be less effective, Okay, if that is not the case in your campaign, that rule should not apply. If a, a three fifty seven Magnum is, you know, uh, uh, something your, your average law enforcement officer would use in your campaign, it shouldn't be dealing two die of damage. It should be dealing three. Okay. Now, if there's a common weapon that is far and away better, like a blaster, that should be the three dire, and then that piddly slug throw would be dealing two dice. You feel me? Yeah, yeah, bro. Okay, bra. And and that's it. One die of damage should be reserved for naturally less effective weapons. Uh, most notably, natural attacks Okay, should still be one die. Um, I, I keep that the way it is in Saga, uh, mostly because with a lot of the martial arts stuff that's come out now, that is one way to seriously rein in the power of your martial artist. Um, 
Uh, and, of course, improvised weapons also. Great way to handle one die of damage. So a lot of people don't consider this. I mean, characters have a lot of hit points in Saga, Dave. You have a lot, you have a lot of hit points. Yeah. To, to counter that, weapons need to be doing lots of damage. And this is, this is very cinematic. Um, and it, it, it's part of that feel of Saga Edition. So, all right, condition track, magic system, bonuses, penalties, high damage weapons. Uh, what is the last core thing that we really need to talk about in terms of, of Saga mechanics when reporting them over? A small subset of character classes. Mm, you hit it on the head. Um, in Saga, we only have a handful of base classes. That's it. Five. That's it. Five. Uh, now, each class, however, has a myriad of options, and this needs to travel through into whatever you're porting to. Keep the base classes whenever possible. Um, I mean, dude, what? I mean, in Saga, all classes but one are are very generic, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you see Noble, Scout, Scoundrel, Soldier being unique to Star Wars? Not unique to... I mean... No. no it can be anything. Yeah. Um, and they and most of their talents are compatible with any setting. And that, that's a really big deal. Um, it is important to cull any of the base talents, however, that simply don't work with the new setting. Uh, and that's very important. Um, you know, when I was building my fantasy game, Dave, uh, the scoundrel has a talent tree that I pretty much cut out in entirety. <laughs> and that would be the slicer talent tree. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Because it kind of doesn't let really go. Yeah, makes sense. Um, you know, uh, I, I also cut out the space hound or the, the, the spacer talent tree. That didn't make a whole lot of sense. I replaced it with one for ship combat, but still. Um, so something to think of. So again, those core precepts you need to carry over when you're doing your work. All right. Well, all right. Let's talk about the things that not so much the things that we. We've talked about stuff that you don't want to change, things that need to remain constant when you're porting over. Let's talk about what we do need to account for, the things that most likely are really going to have to change when you're leaving Star Wars, okay? Um, I, I like on this discussion a, a square peg in a round hole, <laughs> you know, because that's sometimes what it feels like. You know, sometimes the really tough part of a saga port is to a new setting is to properly modify these mechanics when they're needed. Um, you know, we've just told you not to do that whenever possible, but sometimes you simply have to. So what are the best ways to do it? Let's talk about some common things. Um, Dave, what, what hits you up as the first thing on your mind that has to change when you're leaving Star Wars with the Saga system? Oh, I think I may have lost Dave. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> The the first thing that comes to my mind is what I call the fifth class, basically. Or we need a, a lack of Jedi. Um, earlier we said, you know, noble, scout, scoundrel, soldier. They're going to fit well into any setting, uh, but this is not so of the Jedi. Some people would argue that the class is just too Star Wars specific, and it is. But its function is often needed with a serious retool or retweak in the works. So let's talk about this. What is the Jedi class? Okay, what is it? In its core concept, the Jedi class is a, a powerful warrior who specializes in quote-unquote magic, okay, or the Force. And that concept can actually carry over quite well to other settings. 
not so much in others. All right? uh, but when you're carrying it over, you need to keep it balanced. Even in Star Wars Saga, Jedi skirt the line of overpowering, as, as they are. What keeps the class in check are a few things that rein in its power. Uh, what are those things? First and foremost, a short skill list. The shortest in the game. You should keep that. Point two, seriously restricted weapons options. And no armor options. You know, a Jedi in Star Wars Saga can only wield a lightsaber and simple weaponry. They can't wear any armor. Uh, if you're porting the class over, it should most likely be just as restricted. Okay? The third point is the really tough one, however. The dark side. All right? That is something we're going to come back to in a little bit. But the dark side plays a serious role in balancing the Jedi out. It is a retributive consequence for power abuse. Okay. So let's talk about retooling it. All right. You want to keep a magic specializing class, but you got to retool it. Okay. Maybe your system doesn't have a dark side mechanic. All right. Uh, in a game with psychic powers or mutation abilities, this does make little sense. Okay. But, but how to do it? There's a couple easy ways you can cull down the Jedi class or real you know, mage or, you know, psychic manifestor or whatever the heck you want to call it uh, to keep it balanced while having a lack of dark side. First and foremost, reduce the base attack bonus. Okay, Move it away from that uber warrior status. Two, reduce the hit dice. Also another easy way to do that. And last with the Jedi class, don't be afraid to totally scrap it. I mean, bottom line, that's it. For, for a gritty modern or a sci-fi game, don't be afraid to simply scrap the fifth class. Go with four. It'll be okay. It'll be Okay. Just okay? Just okay. Oh, you're back. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've just talked about Jedi as the primary thing that, that needs scrapes to be changed when you're porting a system. Um, do you think there is commonly going to be a need, Dave, to uh, alter some talents and some feats? Um, yeah, I... Well... Yeah, it's it's pretty common. I think it's going to have to be to be done in order to. Um, uh, I mean, people create custom talents and feats now for yeah. soccer games. So, you know, if you're porting it to a new genre entirely, then I would say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's possible. Now, some genres, like you know, if if you're moving to a straight sci-fi game, just you know, not Star Wars, you may not have to alter anything. You know, you could probably run it as it is. Right. Uh, but for virtually any other, you know, e even even a modern game in some respects, but for a fantasy game especially or another uh, IP, um, it could seriously need to be altered. So let's talk about some basic tenets when you're creating or modifying new talents and new feats for your game. All right. Uh, there's some rules you should keep in mind when you're building stuff. A couple very important ones. Uh, Dave, I know we've had this discussion before, but uh, I I'm a huge fan of one other key tenet of the Saga system uh, that you should consider and keep in mind when you're building new talents and feats. And what would you uh, take a stab at that to be? I don't know. Maybe a, a re-roll. Ah, you are correct. Yep. Um, as a core concept, Saga tends to modify things with the almighty reroll, and this should be your first option for a custom talent or a custom feat. Um, instead of a, an ability granting a character a bonus somehow, it can often provide a reroll, and that is keeping very much within the Saga framework. 
Um, Reroll and take the second result. That is the baseline. Now, advanced abilities or ones that are predicated on a very specific set of circumstances should then possibly allow reroll and take the better result. But you should always go with reroll and take the second as your baseline. Okay. Then there's, a, Dave, an easy way to go about crafting new talents and feats. That's a little cheap, but it is the best way to go about doing it. What, just to take existing ones and mimic them? You got it. <laughs> Whenever possible. Relabel. Relabel. Yep. Use existing talents, feats, relabel them, or reappropriate them for your purposes. There's no shame in it. <laughs> and it, it, again, these are tested mechanics. Don't throw that away. Yeah. What yeah. he said. Absolutely. Now, let's move on. So we've talked about Jedi. We've talked about creating new talents and feats. Let's move on to the other, probably one of the biggest thing that's most commonly going to be modified or altered when you switch settings. And um, mm. we talked about it briefly above in terms of what you should keep, uh, but let's talk about some changes. Would this be the force? This would be the force. Magic. Um, no, that's it. You know, so, sometimes what? Magical ability simply doesn't fit for your game. If you're running modern or horror or western or a gritty traveler-style sci-fi, you know, games can often simply do without it. Right? That's fine. You know, scrap magic altogether, scrap the Jedi class, get rid of the Force ability. It's just done. You have a great system still. But when you feel it's appropriate to add magic, psychic, special powers to your game, there's a few easy porting guidelines that you can follow. Um, Dave, hit, hit us up with the first one here, because this is, this is really key to the, the quote-unquote magic system in Saga. So the basic deal is that most everyone can do it, but some really do it well. You got it. You know? You got it. Somebody can try to use the Force, but they may not be successful at it. Correct. You know, anybody can manifest Force sensitivity. Anybody can manifest magical power, psychic ability, mutation, whatever. Um, but if you do decide to have a je- dedicated Jedi-like class for this, those folks can simply do it better, right? Following that guideline, um, such, a, such a class uh, gets that core feat for the ability for free, whether that be force sensitivity, magical spirit, mutant gene, psychic ability, whatever. Uh, aside from that, the core feat, which anyone can get, can only be taken as a character feat. Also, the feat that lets you learn specific powers based off your wisdom modifier, force training, spell training, psychic manifestation, wherever you want to label it as, mutant powers, that also remains a character level only feat. That is a key part of the balancing of the system. Now, Dave, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this because I know, I don't know, you you never really took too much of a look at my, my magic system yet for the fantasy game I developed, but one of the key things was, was lack of a dark side, uh, uh, presence in my fantasy game it's actually pretty easy you know ideally you can try to include a dark side s mechanic into your game for magic that's actually pretty easy to do you can say there's certain dark magics you know that can corrupt you if you use them that's pretty easy to do but for psychic powers mutations you know others or you know again even magic if you don't decide to do it that way which is what i did that doesn't make a whole lot of sense so when you don't have the dark side there to rein in quote-unquote magical ability or force use because that's it, it's necessary, as we've said again. 
You've got to modify the use of magic, force powers, spells, manifestations, whatever you want to call them, in order to keep them balanced. And there's some easy ways you can go about doing this. Um, these are all things I used in my own fantasy game after a great deal of playtesting, and they've worked wonderfully. One, make the activation of the quote-unquote magical ability provoke an attack of opportunity. That's a really big deal. It doesn't do that in Saga right now, but that goes a long way towards really balancing it out. Because, you know, hey, yeah, I'm going to, you know, uh, cast this spell right on top of you. Well, I'm going to provoke an attack of opportunity for doing so. Uh, to take a nod to the old edition of D&D, require a free hand to do this. You know, maybe you need to uh, invoke a complicated spell gesture or extend a hand to manifest that mutant ability or whatever. And lastly, for really overpowering abilities, the, the force lightnings and the dark rages of the groups, have the activation of it move the character down the condition track. I love this. Again, we've got to bring that condition track back into it. When I was creating my fantasy setting and creating spells, I was basically porting over the majority of the force powers into quote-unquote spells. And a lot of the ones with the dark side descriptor, I simply gave a new descriptor called taxing where the mere attempt to cast the spell would move you one step down the condition track. And that really went a long way towards balancing it out. And in playtesting, we've seen that extensively. So, easy ways to balance the force out, okay, or, or magic in your game. Now, Dave, the last tenet of, um, of, of things you're really going to want to change and, and do right uh, for this square peg and a round hole thing is going to be what? One of the things I love doing when I start working on a setting specifically uh, is creating new species, new races. Yeah, new species, race is good. A lot of times you're going to need to remove things that don't make sense Yeah. or add things that do. I mean, if you're playing in a Western, how many species do you actually need? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know? Um, you know, but you know, for, but for fantasy or sci-fi, you need some all new species. Generally speaking, yeah. <clears throat> this is one area, Dave, where a well-meaning game master can absolutely destroy game balance. That's right. But and I know you know the answer to this. There is an ideal, easy, and rather cheap way to get it done right. Uh, let me guess: relabel. <laughs> relabel. Pilfer existing saga species. That's right. There is no hard and fast rule for creating species that is better than simply relabeling what we already have or using abilities from existing species. This is always preferable to creating your own from scratch. Why? This stuff has been tested, folks. Got to come back to that. Yep. All right. <clears throat> well, Dave, let's, let's pull this all together and, and kind of move our discussion towards somewhat of a close by taking a look at some, some actual examples here. Aside from the guidelines we've talked about, the best way for you to learn how to do this yourself is to see and read some great examples of a saga conversion in action. And we're going to talk to you about a couple and then point you in the direction you need to find them. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Dave, I don't know if you've had the chance to look at either one of these, um, but they're absolutely fantastic. Um, why don't you tell us about the first one? All right, the first one is the uh, Uncanny Midnight Tales. Love it. We're going to call it UMT. Mm. Umt. All right, this is uh, John Roby, or some of you would know him as The Nietzsche <laughs> on the interwebs. Uh, he's been uh, a very strong member of the soccer community since day one, 
and he's a big fan and a freelance writer, which is a good, pretty good uh, combination there. And he converted the Saga rules into a Cthulhu-style horror game that he calls Uncanny Midnight Tales. Yeah. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's fantastic. I mean, John's a skilled designer. He's a skilled writer. And, you know, the reason I wanted to point this out is because he's created a port here that actually does alter some of the core class functionality, but he does it properly. And he has actually added an entirely new mechanic, which he needed to add, which is essential to a Cthulhu-style horror game. Sanity. <laughs> ah. you, have, you have a sanity trait now. Um, but, dude, I love it. UMT, it takes place in, like, 1930s-era America, and it focuses on simple characters discovering horrific truths of elder evils and, and dealing with them while trying not to go freaking mad in the process. So does sanity some work similar to the condition track or something along those lines? Uh, you actually have some sanity points. It's something the it's he kind of brought over some stuff from some prior games, but the idea is he built a mechanic that you have a sanity trait, but the more you adventure and the more you experience and the more evil, awful, unknowable stuff you're exposed to, the worse you get over time. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Until the point that you will totally go insane. Um. It's a great example of how to add an entirely new mechanic into the system in a very balanced way. Um, and you guys can download this for free. Um, where, does, where does he have it at, Dave? Nietzsche.com. That's G-N-E-E-C-H slash uncanny. Yeah. And it's right there. He's got a player's guide, a game master's guide. He's got a, a pre-made adventure already done up. He did some amazing work on it. It's also beautifully published. Um, which I'm, I'm very pleased with. Uh, wonderful graphics and d- art design. Um, he did a really good job. Yeah. So check it out. Uncanny Midnight Tales. Dude, awesome. Wow. All right, next on the docket is The mm. Land of Nod. Wow, dude, this must be Superman-related, right? He was one of those three bad guys. No. 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 Nod, as in, uh, if you're a fan of your Old Testament, uh, especially some of the apocryphal versions, if you'll recall... Um, uh, the land outside of Eden, where Adam and Eve were exiled to, is referred to in the ancient works as Nod. Oh, see, I thought you said Zod. No, no, Nod. Zod would be cool. But uh, listen, I've been a huge fan of Cyber Dave's Land of Nod setting for years now, which he's, as long as he's been working on it. And, dude, it is a cyberpunk space opera with StarCraft and Dune themes thrown into it. Mm. It's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cyberdave setting has been brewing for years. It has received a great deal of community support and suggestions to make it the amazing port that it is. And I wanted to point this out for a couple reasons. Instead of simply publishing a PDF, Cyberdave has actually kept the setting on the Watsi forums and has even used their current to compile it all into a referenced wiki, which is really cool. For those of you that just got Skyped, the what he said was that he used the Watsi forums and the site to compile it and make it all into a wiki because oh, Skype just killed you. Skype killed me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. Wasn't your fault. Sorry, bad Skype. Bad. Not your fault. No. Uh, but the land of Nod setting is very different from UMT in that it actually keeps the class structure of Saga exactly the same, modifying the Jedi with a few tweaks, relabeling the class, uh, kind of a major relabel. Um, there, though there are multiple species to choose from, CyberDave has provided rules for different kinds of humans. 
more like cultural differences, which is is brilliant way to retain you know wow most of us are human but um, gosh you know we are we are different with different species stats. Um, and more importantly, and I really wanted to bring this up for Lass specifically because she mentioned trying to run Shadowrun using the Saga rules. The land, the land of Nod has rules for advanced cybernetics and haha, rules for computer networks and true battles in cyberspace, okay? which is a key feature of Shadowrun. This is probably the best I've seen compiled of, of anyone trying to port Saga over. So anyone wanting to run that Shadowrun style of game should definitely check out the land of Nod. Um, nice. You, yeah. And you can find it right now at, uh, at community dot wizards dot com slash the land of nod and od uh, one word slash wiki it will take you straight there yep okay well lastly i'm going to toot my own horn and talk very briefly about the um what i've been working on uh my own my own port of saga and I, if we have time i'd love to open uh this discussion up as well to questions from you dave or from the chat room or for anyone else who wants to do it um, so for a couple of years, I, I've been working on a fantasy setting using the core saga rules, and I'm calling it Legends, a saga of heroic fantasy. And it's done. <laughs> I'm just giggling. It's finally done. It is being sent off for final editing and design layout right now. Um, I'm, I'm just so tickled. Uh, I, I focused on a fantasy-style game. Uh, using the core mechanics of Saga as much as possible, with a retool of Jedi into a mage class, uh, a bevy of equipment options, over 50 spells for magic users, 14 prestige classes, and scores of ready-to-use threats. Um, and I guess what I really want to do now is, 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 this is a little unorthodox considering all our rules here, I'd love to talk about some of the design of it or answer some of the questions that people have in the chat or you regarding this process because this is something I've recently been through myself. Well, you know, we'll open it up to the chat room at this point in time and let them start uh, asking questions and uh, I will act as a moderator. Okay. But okay. Um, actually, Fandom Comic Comics is the first one to send in what my first question was also going to be, which is, do you have a specific world setting in mind? Negative. Uh, this is generic fantasy. Uh, it will work in any fantasy setting. You could use this in Greyhawk. You could use this in uh, Eberron. You could use this in, um, you know, uh, Wheel of Time. You could use it in Conan. You could use it in anything. Command and Conquer? No. Fantasy related. <laughs> I know. Sorry. They did talk about that in the chat room, too. Yeah. Um, okay. And Fiddleback says, uh, why? Why would you waste your time? <laughs> Good question. Um for the same reasons we talked about. Listen, there are fantasy systems out there. I'm not looking to... I didn't make a system for a specific IP. I made one for generic fantasy because I find Saga Edition to be the most balanced and fun D20 system mechanically I have ever played. I got really tired with 3rd Edition. Um, Pathfinder has made some great improvements on that, but even then, there's still some things I, I dislike. Um, I, you know, 4th Edition is a great system too, but it's not my preferred. I like Saga. I like the mechanics, and I wanted to get my fantasy on in it. So that's why I did it. Beautiful. So what species? Um, okay, just off the bat, I know it's kind of a cop-out, but I, I've included the core species from the third 3.5 edition of D&D. So what, you know, human, dwarf, um, elf, half-elf, halfling, gnome. Orc. Uh, half-orc. Yep. 
um, those core seven species. Uh, there's also about 10 uh, NPC species, everything from orcs to gnolls to fairies to giants to ogres. Kobolds. Um, to kobolds uh, that are all designed as NPC species with abbreviated stat blocks as well. Nice. Yeah. Did you make up anything else new? Um, in terms of species? Or? Yeah, in terms of species. No, not off the bat. I will tell you that once this is out there, my next task is going to be to actually do my own world, and it will probably scrap the current system settings uh, or species settings entirely and um, just uh, you know, do my own, basically, my own races and all that. Nice. Although I'm a huge fan of Tolkien because I was we- weaned on it, so it's going to be very hard for me to do any type of fantasy setting that doesn't have humans, uh, hobbits, halflings, uh, dwarves and elves, just because they have such a key place in my heart in terms of uh, of fantasy. Dragons as a threat? Uh, uh, creatures, uh, not NPC characters. No, uh, dragons were a threat, and they're done not in the D and D style. They were. Um, it's just it's a creature on its own, so there's no different types of dragons. It was more, um, you know, hey, it's a dragon. Here it is, CL eighteen. Uh, it's a female dragon. She has a whole crap ton of magical abilities and can breathe fire on you. Um, also, like CL8 or 9, I think, is a drake, which is the male version of the species. And usually a female has several dozen drakes uh, in her harem, which serve her and uh, scout her territory and compete for mating rights. So, hmm. very, uh, very, I guess you could say, um, uh, 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 oh, God, it just slipped my mind. What's the, what's the name of the video game? Good grief. Uh, Bioware. Fantasy. Uh, uh, the thing with the deal. Yeah, the thing with the deal. Anyway. <laughs> so. Dragon Age. Anyway. Dragon Age. Dragon Age. Thank you. So, yeah, very much dragons from Dragon Age. Yeah. So... Yeah, everyone in the chat room except for Fiddleback can hear us. Is that a surprise? Yes, that is a surprise. Fiddleback needs to reload. Yeah, his mice that he's got powering his internet connection are slowing down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So what other questions? I think old school. Old school has, uh, so if it's just a rule set, what does it do well and what weaknesses um, have you found? Now, you've, you've had playtesting in this, right? I've had two sessions of playtesting. Um, first and foremost, I had, I had a series of alpha testing after my initial document that was just done in Dallas. We had several play sessions uh, with my core group and identified a lot of problems early and made a lot of changes, most notably to magic, um, making it a lot more balanced, I guess you can say. Um, after I got the beta document ready, I actually used our own forums to put out a call for people to help me test, and I got half a dozen groups uh, around the world, um, four in the States and two overseas that were willing to do it. And they gave me some non-formal NDAs and I sent them the beta document and then started receiving periodic updates and play reports and making additional changes and tweaks to the system as well. Um, so okay. th- there's, there's been a lot done. I, I, don't, I don't see any huge weaknesses with the system right now. I, I, I really don't. Um, what does it do well? Yeah. Everything Saga does well. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> it's 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 terribly cinematic. Uh, my goal was to do saga fantasy as close to saga as I could possibly get it. So, what prestige class took the most time to port over? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, do you want me to actually like tell you what prestige classes are in the game? 
Sure, why not? Because a lot of them are brand new creations, um, and several of them, though, are, are indeed ports. Um, so let's see. I'm having to remind myself here uh, as I pull it up. Okay, we have, <clears throat> of the 14 prestige classes, we have the Archmage, which is basically your Jedi Master. Um, we have the Aristocrat, which was, um, half of it is the Crime Lord, half of it is some brand new stuff, but basically it's a, you're, 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 you're Aristocrat, you're a Crime Lord without the crime, <laughs> basically. Um, Artificer. Uh, master craftsman, enchanter of magical and alchemical items. Um, the assassin. Uh, that was a straight port. Easy, quick. Um, probably the hardest one I had to write brand new from scratch was the cavalier, which is my basically my version of the ace pilot. Uh, you know, basically master horseback rider, trained to ride mountain combat. Uh, the druid, brand new prestige class, uh, which is kind of. I guess the analogous to um, Force Adept, kind of this natural uh, bent uh, prestige class for a magic user. Uh, the Elite Warrior, which is pretty much a straight port from the Elite Trooper. Uh, the Hunter, which is uh, almost a straight port from the Bounty Hunter with several new talents added. Um, my favorite, the Lore Master. Uh, an individual, probably noble or scoundrel, base. There's several ways to get there that uses knowledge checks to do all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, the Master Mage, which uh, is basically your Jedi Knight. Um, the Officer, which was pretty much a straight port from the Officer. Uh, the Privateer, which was, of course, a conglomeration of the various talents from the two Privateer talent trees um, that are out there, the two Privateer classes that are out there in Saga right now. Uh, the Shadow Foot, which was entirely new, and is basically your Master Thief. Uh, and the, lastly, the Target Master, which is basically your, your Gunslinger, your Master of Trick Shots and your super, super range combatant. Nice. Um, so that's kind of what I'm, what I'm looking at right now. Well, Ganthet says he wants to be a Gnome Rouge. Uh, I can't promise a Gnome Rouge, but I can allow a Gnome Scoundrel. Ah. You, oh, it's actually a Scoundrel and not a Rogue. Of course. The base classes, uh, you know, you have Noble, Scout, Scoundrel, Soldier, and Mage. Okay. There so. you go. There you go. Does. Um, and they're asking <laughs> questions like, what, what are you going to sell this for? I'm not. I can't. We covered that at the start of the talk. Yeah. Can't sell it. No OG. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going back and forth in the chat room. Yes, it's uh, Lucasfilm, uh, Watsy, not OGL. You know, it's just one of those deals. That if if you modify, I believe I believe the rule of thumb is, you know, now that I'm getting into all the business aspect of building games, the rule of thumb is that if you modify a game system by more than 10%, you can actually rebrand it and sell it. But with such a, with an RPG, it's different. You know, there's so much you have to change that you create a new system unless you just relabel the existing stuff. Exactly. You know? So. Exactly. Yeah, so um, the chat room wants to know about any setting ideas that you may have. But, I mean, um, oh, like when I get it done? Yeah. Because like, right now it's generic setting. When I, when I get there, I really want to do a sort of a, uh, um, quite frankly, a steampunk setting is probably going to be my preferred. Yeah. 
Um, I, I love I love the idea, and I think it fits really well into Saga. You have this whole fantasy bent, but you have this small amount of technology. Um, I I really really liked it. So uh, yeah, but that that that's a ways off. You know this this document particularly Legends is is can be generically used for any fantasy setting, uh, and that's that's really what the goal was. So, um, <laughs> what? Fiddleback says, Napoleonic Civil War in space. In space! In space! What other questions do we have in the chat? Um, sounds like mounted combat yeah. might have a big impact on the game. How many different mounts are in the book? Uh, very good question. Um, I thought about really taking the time to go into some wild mounts that are out there, but uh, just off the offset, you've got your basic fantasy mounts. Um, and I can kind of tell you exactly what you got here uh i'm staring right now at stats <laughs> for riding dogs uh donkeys and mules uh horses uh both heavy and light uh war horses both heavy and light uh ponies and war ponies and i did spend a lot of time really expanding the ride mechanic um and the ride skill i actually did it before it was expanded in um unknown regions uh, and I, I was rather pleased to say that a lot of the things I'd come to naturally, they expanded on themselves. So <laughs> that was that was kind of cool. Nice. So. <laughs> flying snails, wild magic. No, no flying snails. No, no, no shark riders straight away. A heavy war snail, not not quite, not quite. Uh, the uh, probably I think the biggest change. I made was the creation of the mage class, which was a Jedi without all his clothes, basically. <laughs> um, I wanted a magic class, basically, that would do magic really, really well, but my early, beta te- my early alpha testing showed me that what I had created, which was similar to Jedi, was grossly, disgustingly overbalanced. Nice. Um, we, I discovered early on that people are going to gravitate towards melee weapons in a just this as opposed to ranged weapons and when you bring the force or magic into that equation it makes the magic user extremely imbalanced so i i stripped the mage down to a d6 hit die poor base attack bonus crappy defenses well yeah <laughs> so, i mean that's that's the whole nature of the glass cannon exactly that's what he is he's a glass cannon and finally he's back to being a glass cannon yeah um which was which was really cool right so crafting <laughs> crafting yes actually there is um uh, crafting will uh, be pretty much as it is in Saga. We have rules for it. Um, Scum and Villainy got into the mechanic skill and detailed rather extensively what it takes to craft. And yes, you can craft. Um, as far as crafting magic items, yes, you can do it. I took the tech specialist feat and turned it into alchemical enchantment, uh, adding a few other special bonuses like the ability to make a returning weapon or something that can glow like a torch, things of that nature. Um, and so instead of being a tech modification, it's just a enchantment. So yeah, it's nice. there. Nice. But obviously the system doesn't uh, doesn't rely on that the same way Saga Star Wars Saga doesn't rely on tech specialist either. Wow. So Fiddleback Fiddleback wants to know if he can own his own ship. My, my guess is no, but you can probably own your own horse. I don't know. It's up to your GM. I've got I've got stats for all kinds of ships in here. Um, uh, you know, vehicle combat. You're right there. I mean, from Carriages and carts and war wagons to galleys and uh, 
you know, keel boats and uh, oh yeah, you could have your own long ships, seafaring vessel. Absolutely, you could. Absolutely. In fact, there's yeah. some talent trees devoted to it. Oh, you have the pilot, but not really a right. pilot, more of a yeoman. <laughs> um, oh. Okay, old school had a good question. Pirates. Uh, so there's no mechanics for those that abuse the use of magic. Um, nope. <laughs> the dark side points that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah that, that's, one, that's one key differentiator I made to the magic system is I, I totally stripped out dark side points. They could be easily added, but I didn't see magic in a generic fantasy setting as having that addition to it. Well, yeah, um, there is no, even in, uh, you know, you look at, I mean, I always fall back on D&D because that's all I know, but there's no oh, yeah. dark side in D&D. I mean, there's no, no there, dark there, side there magic power. There isn't. And so, you know, your your spells, which are what force powers became basically, you know, they work just like force powers do. They recharge the same way. Um, but those that are really uber badass, like Lightning Bolt, um, basically, actually, I did scale down the damage for Lightning just a little bit. Uh, I think it's down to 66 now. First from my from my beta test results, uh, but it and a few others have the taxing descriptor, meaning even attempting to cast the darn thing will move you one step down the condition track, and I, that worked better than I ever expected. Every playtest report I got back was like, "Man, this works great." It's like the caster is either not taking these powers because he doesn't want to move down the condition track, or he's spending an extra round to move back up after he uses it. And that and that really serves to help balance out those powerful. Abilities. You know what? So the the next question I'm I'm about to ask is how much do you actually have to change this that you've already done to to satisfy that ten to twenty percent requirement? I don't know. I I never really wanted to sell this. It's it's an homage to Saga. It, the system is what it is. I'm not going to try and do something else. But quite frankly, um. I think I would have to get rid of the condition track. I think that is uniquely Saga. No, 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 it's not. It was used actually before Saga. In a D20 system? I ah. I know it's been used in other systems, but I can't oh, think yeah, of one where it's used D20, in for D20. Right? Well, I don't know. I really don't remember. But um, God, God, there's all, all kinds of questions coming. Rapid oh, fire. Siege weapons. Um... No catapults or anything like that. However, there are vehicle-mounted weapons. So that's cannons. it. Conan. That's it. That's it. That's, I knew it. Conan D20. Dude, I've not, oh, I guess I haven't looked at Conan D20. And I think it was, that, was pre, that was pre-Saga. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. But um, I, think, I think Conan D20 sucked. That's why I kind of maybe banished it from my mind. Uh, um, well, yeah, the whole chat room is saying it was horrible. Okay, <laughs> but to, no, to the siege weapons, uh, no, there is. Um, okay, th- this leads into another good, good, good conversation. Um, something else that got very specific with what I needed. Um, in Saga, we have pistols, rifles, heavy weapons, exotic weapons, lightsabers. Those are the weapon categories we have. And if you take a feat like weapon focus um, or double attack, triple attack, you have to specify the weapon category you're taking it with, right? I found that in a fantasy game, it got to be far too generic. There aren't multiple weapon categories, really. Um, I mean, when I broke it down, there was simple weapons, there was martial weapons, and there was exotic weapons, and then heavy weapons, which are pretty much limited only to ship-based, ship-scale, ship-based combat. Um, so the idea of, you know, there's so many weapons in the martial category. There's so many in the simple category. The idea of somebody, uh, you know, taking weapon focus 
you know, simple or martial was just too much for me. So all of those key features, you actually do have to specify the specific weapon itself. Mm. Yeah, here's yeah, here's the next set of questions that are really good questions. Is D and D is very much a healing kind of you know? There's a cleric. You did not mention cleric. Nope. But healing is handled, and again, this is that cinematic system. Healing is handled the same way it is in Saga. You've got first aid and treat injury, which your noble can handle. And there's also this is going to be a heavy impetus for the magic user in the group to take vital transfer, um, which is really where the healing magic comes in. Uh, at the prestige class level, there are some really cool abilities that can bump up vital transfer use. And even at the core class level, in terms of the mage class, there are some talents and other abilities that can bump up vital transfer and how it is used if you want to rely more on the magical healing aspect of things. So your mage is going to handle healing. Magically, yes. And this is this is kind of a little bit of a departure from your traditional D&D where your clerics mm-hmm. are handling the healing. They're not necessarily in the fight. So your mage is going to have to... Multitask. Yeah, pretty much. If, if your mage is the one doing it. You know, hey, how many Saga games have you run where the Force user never took vital transfer and all healing was handled via second wins and rest and the noble applying treat injury? Yeah. And that's kind of how it's done here as well. Okay. So. No, I do not have the obligatory what is role-playing section. <laughs> uh, now, have you have you gone down the route of, of lawful good, lawful evil? No, no, no. Chaotic, Saga, whatever. Saga does not have it, so I do not either. Right, okay. I just wanted to make sure. I mean, Saga has dark side and dark side score and all that, but um, at least for this initial offering, no. No, nothing, okay. nothing of that nature. Okay. Yeah, look at that. People are already talking about multi-classing noble and the mage for healing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they haven't you even seen you. Your... Wouldn't even have to do that. You just make a make a uh, a noble with the magical spirit feat, which is force sensitivity, basically, and just take a bunch of vital transfers. Hey, yeah. it, it 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 totally happens. Do you um, have a limit on the spells they can cast per day? Uh, it works the same way it does in Saga. So they're instead of force training, you take spell training, which is the number of spells you know, there and you, you know you cast them just like force powers. Nice. Once again, keeping uh, back to those initial precepts, keeping it as close to the core saga rules as we as we possibly can. Nice. Yes. And no, Fiddleback Jack Chick has not contacted me yet. Nice. Kaylilia wants to know if there's any ideas for airships. Um, I did include the stats for an airship. Oh. An airship in this. Um, I don't, you know, and. Basically, it would be handled with mass ship combat the same way it would be with, with sailing ships. But, yes, I do have an airship in here. It's freakishly expensive, but that's, that's kind of what it is. So can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky are shooting stars and I could really use a wish right now? Yeah. Okay. A big wish. What talent trees does the mage have and how do they differentiate the types of spellcasters? Um, there's not really different types of spellcasters, but there's definitely different types of mages. And I'll I'll lay it out for you. The mage has uh, several talent trees. They have um, okay. W- one thing I guess is I guess system specific is uh, with with a nod to my love of Star Wars. I took a term that is actually not copyrighted called praxium. And uh, in my in my generic fantasy setting, a praxium is your your magical college, your wizard school, basically. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a mage, you belong to a praxium. Um, so there's the praxium guardian talent tree, the praxium 
Hunter talent tree, the Praxium Mystic talent tree, the Praxium Speaker talent tree. Sound familiar yet? Um, <laughs> you know, so obviously one focused on battle magic, one focused the on... The Jedi Counselor talent yes, tree. Yes, yes. One focused on stealth and guile, one focused on pure spell casting, one focused on, you know, being a, a speaker, a, your noble-esque, your adept negotiators and all that. Um, so that, that's, that's the talent trees those guys have. Yes, indeed. Ah, Fiddleback, a man after my own heart. The Wand of Summon Milf. <laughs> in, in real world, I would buy one of those. Good question from Fandom Comics. Uh, in Star Wars, we have droids. Is there a creature or pet system with protocol stats for attack or utility pets? Magic familiars. Not in this offering. Um, this initial offering was strictly designed to work with the core rulebook and the systems that were within it. Um, I seriously do want to bring in the protocol system, though, uh, to deal with, with pets um, in, in the next supplement. That would that'll be really, be really cool. Yeah. That'll, be, that'll be the first thing I, I, probably, I probably put in. Um, now, okay, Fiddleback made a, a joking question regarding wands. Um, I, there's no wands or scrolls in here, but... Um, there is one new mechanic which uh, play tested pretty well. Um, the idea of basically having an expendable magical resource like a scroll. Like I have a spell, I want to record it somewhere and then cast it at a later time. You feel me? And to that end, I have created a system called Spell Crystals, where with a specific feat, uh, a spellcaster can craft them, putting a spell into them to be cast by themselves or another party at a later time. Um, they're not easy to make. So it's um, almost they, like they, you imbue this item. Yeah, basically, you're 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 imbuing it. Um, but you know, it's a one-time use item. Once it's gone, once you once you try to cast the spell out of it, the crystal crumbles to dust. It's done. They cost a force point to create. Okay, it's not. <laughs> it, it's it's not. You're not going to be churning these things out. Um, but there's a lot of spells in here that are very situational. Things that I wanted to include for a great fantasy game. Things like Endless Breath, which you know, makes you so you don't have to breathe. Okay, um, Levitation, things like that. Which your average, what my beta testers were telling me was that your average magic user wasn't picking up any of this stuff. They were just picking up attack spells because you know, that's what they want. Well, this is a way for a character who's a magic user to get their hands on some of the more little used utility spells, even though they don't have them in their suite. Um, so nice. That's kind of how it was. Awesome, dude. Rapid fire questions. As we approach Uh, two hours. I know. I know. Very good questions from the chat room tonight. Yes. Yes. But I'm, I'm really excited about this fantasy setting and, and I was very pleased to get Lass's question obviously because it coincided with all the work I've been doing recently finishing this thing up and it's going to be available um, gosh hopefully in, the, in, the, in this by the end of the month hopefully um, or maybe in the beginning of November uh, for uh, download by the Gamer Nation I got to give big props to the boys at Fandom Comics um, who have agreed to devote their own time effort and energy to help me do the layout and design for this thing yes because their work is phenomenal it's stellar again you know we mentioned it at the top of the show and if you guys you know go see their work to know exactly what i'm talking about um but you know obviously getting the final draft to them and having them work their brilliant wizardry of their own time and is just amazing they're you guys rock <laughs> rock and roll 
you guys rock and roll. But it's a good topic, so I hope you guys have learned a little something. Uh, take these guidelines and get out there. Make your Halo saga. Make your, you know, Last Starfighter saga. Make your Deadlands saga. <laughs> Deadlands, nice. So, yeah, it's totally doable. And uh, it can be a fun prospect for a lot of gamers and GMs. You just got to have the courage to do it. Yep. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, once again, uh, please uh, give us a holler. Call us. Lose the line. 206-600-5872-LUSA. And uh, leave us some voicemails uh, if you'd like. And uh, also email us. Dave, what are those uh, email addresses? That would be gmdave at d20radio.com, gmchris at d20radio.com. Done and done. And of course, head to the website, d20radio.com, head to the forums, and uh, speak your mind, get your voice heard. Tron, Saga Edition. Nice. Nice. How awesome is that? See, you get a user See? that gets sucked in and has the force powers. Dude, that's it. That's exactly it. You yep. have, you have instead of force sensitivity, it's user command. Yep. And you know, you can learn special ability. Dude, see, this is what I'm talking about. See? It's not hard to do. It's not hard to do. That's so. awesome. Awesome. Did you say peace, love, and good gaming already? No, but oh, I will okay, now. Good. Peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. 